Hello and welcome to Studio Flow Presents, an anthology series discussing some of the most pressing technology questions of our time with some of the industry's most engaging experts. I'm Craig, your host for this series. I'm also creative director and founder of new tech design agency, Studio Flow. In this first episode, we sat down to discuss all things AI with Lucia Velasco, director and consultant at Kalima Limited. Lucia has worked as a scrum master and developer at award-winning SMEs and startups in healthcare, finance and luxury services sectors. I saw her at an event in Bristol run by creative agency Tiny Giant called I'll Be Back, where she gave one of the most captivating performances I've ever seen. Her brief was to reflect on the future of advanced technology and what that would look like 50 years from now. We start by asking Lucia to describe her performance piece and where the inspiration came from. So in the end I settled on a story uh, role-playing format where I play a teacher talking about the history of artificial intelligence and the, the date in the, in the game, I suppose, in the performance is uh, 2163 or something like that. Uh, and so I went through some of the points where I thought that AI could go, so uh, the uses of early artificial intelligence shortly in the future from us, moving on to having whole personalities, people, uh, relationships between humans and artificial intelligence. Uh, yeah, but it was mostly ad-libbing. <laughs> <laughs> was it really? Yeah. Oh my god, that's so amazing. <laughs> that was just fantastic. What, were your, what did your notes look like? Did you have like proper paragraphs? Um, so my notes, I sort of wrote them on the train on the way there. <laughs> don't, don't tell me. I'll be back Shh, people on that. Don't tell anyone. Um, yeah, but uh, yeah, so it was basically just, uh, I think that this could happen. Um, such as uh, marriage between a human and an artificial intelligence. Uh, a few more concrete ideas, so I gave the example of uh, artificial intelligence being used to control uh, wildlife that acted um, in a way to help the ecosystem, because I do think that AI is going to be integral in how we combat climate change, etc. But pretty much three words and a rough date on when it could happen. <laughs> oh my god, uh, that, I am I am even more in awe of you than I <laughs> think I was already because that was that was incredible. Such a piece of work. Where did the idea come from then? Where did are you a big fan of science fiction? Like, how did that? Yeah. So uh, my mom has has was an actress and she monologued a lot when I was younger and it it gave me a great respect for the power of just going on and bringing people into a space which they don't expect and which is new and exciting. But the actual uh, concepts that I brought into it were very much informed by the reading that I've done of Isaac Asimov. Um, Oh, so many authors that I can't name at the moment. But um, yeah, brilliant authors who've really explored what artificial intelligence could be before we even had modern computing. Wow, yeah. I spent many a misspent youth hour <laughs> reading <laughs> Asimov and like oh, just 2001 yeah. and just like uh, how words can blow your mind. Mm. Again, not to use that phrase too much, but like it could just put you in a different place. And I think that was what was so amazing about the performance you gave was that it put us in a different place altogether. A classroom. <laughs> a classroom. A classroom many, many years in the future. Yeah. Yeah. So we're going to talk about some of the tech um, that, that you, were, you were mentioning and where we think it's going to go. Because obviously yeah. we've seen 
um, in the last probably what five or ten years a significant evolution mm. in how the kind of the umbrella term of AI tech has been developed and, and, and now being commercially applied as well and being used mm -hmm. uh, in, in things that we can see um, giving us real value <coughs> and these bits of technology um, are they've been around for years and they're quite complicated for a lot of people to understand you know people talk about artificial intelligence they talk about machine learning Bayesian classifiers adversarial neural networks yeah. like these are all like super weird terms right it's like in your in your in your um, view can you explain to our listeners what these these kind of ideas and concepts and algorithms are and where do they come from and why are they kind of becoming more prolific now yeah so i think honing in on the word intelligence all of these terms are different ways of saying making computers less dumb uh, right now computing is very much about saying uh, if a is true then b should happen then do b uh, or b is true or set something to be um Whereas when you have more complex algorithms which involve learning, having everything that makes humans human but in a computer, or at least a snapshot of it, that is where you get artificial intelligence. And no one really understands it uh, except super clever experts who will uh, create algorithms that have the ability to improve themselves and to improve uh, their understanding of, of the data that you are putting into them. Mm. Which is, yeah, it's, it, it's really hard to present in terms that are uh, understandable uh, because there, there isn't really much that you can compare to it. Right. Because um, they're so different to what has come in the past or because they're so complicated in their own right? I think it's mostly because, uh, well, because we just have so, much, so many misunderstandings. Uh, so there was a study recently that found that 40% of companies professing to use artificial intelligence or to be writing it were not. Uh, but people don't really know because wow. it's really hard to capture what is intelligence compared to just a really smart algorithm that we have created right. that can handle variables in flexible ways. So what is intelligence? <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, uh, do we have a psychologist yeah, in the room? Like, <laughs> um, Feel free to just punch me in the face and not answer that question, by the way. You're too far <coughs> away. <laughs> too far away, okay, fine. Yeah, otherwise. Otherwise. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, it's a good point, though. N no one really knows. Is mm. artificial intelligence uh, something that has emotions? Is it something that is simply able to learn? Is it the ability to reason, to make decisions and moral judgments, for mm. example? Because that's something that really underpins where we think that artificial intelligence is going to be going for ethical uses. You'll have, um, uh, we've already had judicial systems that are based on artificial intelligence, machine learning data. And is that intelligent? Is that the definition of intelligence? Who knows? Is it right? Who knows? Mm. Is it better than humans? Who knows? <laughs> right. And that's kind of what you were touching on in your piece, wasn't it, really? Mm. Where this um, kind of practical reality becomes commonplace and then it even goes further and becomes embedded into kind of how yeah. humans feel about themselves, almost, isn't it? You know, Absolutely. Yeah. If we can define what intelligence is for us and for machines, then the line between, well, the line blurs between what is considered a person and, uh, and their capacities. Mm, God, it's, it's such a big field, isn't it? Um, yeah. Why, why do you think you know? Obviously, you're you're a technology expert uh, in this field. Why do you think that we are seeing 
the developments happening now? Because some of these paradigms have been around for quite a while. I think partly the the ease of being able to implement it. Uh, technologies are becoming easier and easier to, to write and to build. The ecosystem around which we structure uh, this software is simply better. More people have worked on it. Mm. It's easier. So more people feel that it's approachable. There are also now libraries and frameworks that are built by people who are experienced in these fields that are just essentially dumbing it down. Uh, right. and easier for humans to pass. So as well as being easier, it's also just really cool. We have hardware that makes it accessible. We have Alexa, Google Homes, Siri, etc, etc. So many versions of assistants yeah. and uh, automated voices on phones, chatbots, and this is the beginning of having something which can reason. Uh, so that humans don't have to be in the equation. Mm, interesting. So that, that, that touches on an interesting eth ethical area, I think. Mm. I think a lot of people, <laughs> certainly in the press, are, you know, AI or, 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 or um, modern, you know, uh, computational algorithms get vilified in the press quite significantly. And I think a part of that is because they're quite complicated, as you say, and I think yeah. they don't get a chance. You know, people, the common persons, we understand how they work, so they fear them, mm. I think, and that's the standard reaction I think to a lot of technology that is quite yeah absolutely but why do you think that AI specifically or the technologies of AI instill so much fear in people like what is it about them do you think that, that humans find at this stage of our development as a mm. species find so questionable I think there's uh, there's an idea that skilled work that required uh, huge knowledge bases and that required going to university or living experiences, uh, those were considered to be quite protected fields. We saw as uh, mechanics evolved and engineering evolved that many uh, jobs were taken over, were replaced by machines, and this is the way for the people who were safe from that. This is something that can look at far more data than a human brain can comprehend. Mm. Uh, and then from that can build something intelligent, can build something uh, within parameters that we are, have set, such as, oh, be, be kind, which is such an abstract thought that previously you could never attribute to a computer. A, a computer just did what it was told. Um, so the idea of something that can, yeah, just... Yeah, uh, do what humans can do mm. is new. Uh, I think that there are still areas though that AI one is is very much lacking, uh, and that two will perhaps never replace. So I think that there's probably going to be a big boom of jobs around uh, being human, around communication and interactions that you want to have a human there for. Um, perhaps around care, where you can have artificial intelligence but it's nice to see a human face and it's nice to have the nuances of emotion which we still have not captured at all mm. um, especially when translating them into physical hardware it's impossible for us to emulate a human face for example mm -hmm. because there's just too much going on it's really really difficult to capture the intricacies of something as simple as uh, smiling Riley mm. Oh, fascinating, isn't it? Mm. Such an interesting area. So, where do you? Your talk was very positive. <laughs> it had a, it, in terms of the the future it was presenting. You know, yeah. It was a real. That's why I originally talked about science fiction because generally science fiction can present a very. Well, there are great pieces of science fiction that present very positive. 
visions of the mm. future, um, where we've got past the issues and some of the kind of moral and, and, and limited understanding that humans have and fear of these technologies they have. We've got past that and we're in a different space. And your talk was very positive. How do you, do you genuinely feel like the future of these technologies is a positive future? And what do you fear most about AI? I think that AI and these similar technologies have huge potential. Uh, I think that humans always figure out a way to screw things up there, uh, and computers will be no exception. I, th I think that they're, in terms of my fears, well, they come down mostly to uh, biases and, um, and uh, ethical problems. It's really hard to counteract those. People want to build something because they, they think it's cool, they want to be able to do something amazing, and then they forget that, for instance, uh, this uh, application that can track where you are and tell you when you're going to get somewhere could be accessed by people who um, who shouldn't know where you are. Um, stalkers, uh, people who have gone rogue. Uh, and I think for me that's the biggest fear. But, I yeah, I, I think that most of what we are creating is going to become embedded in our lives. It already is. And the moment it's embedded in our lives, we should, as the masses, have a degree of control over how companies create these machines and what, what um, barriers they set. And it will become something that can be really positive for change. Mm, yeah, and, and that's the sense I got from your talk as well. Is that <laughs> that's good. <laughs> these are empowering technologies. and mm. It's something that I, I believe fundamentally as well, that, that technology is a tool. And yes, we have a we have a massive propensity to fuck stuff up as human beings. Oh yeah, <laughs> but I think we've also got huge capacity for for using these tools for good as well. Mm. You know, and and and, um, and and as a way of progressing the species as well. So and I think that's what I got from your talk as the positive aspect of that as an opportunity for us to further ourselves as humanity. Superb, really interesting. Um, so it feels like these technologies are really opening up. Domain, uh, kind of fields and domains that, that we hadn't really considered before and, yeah. and I think voice and chatbots specifically as a, obviously an area that Studio Flow is in um, is, is only really viable now because of the developments that you've been talking about mm. you know, and this future of, of kind of AI neural networks and the speed that they can process so that they can present a conversational interaction that feels human and feels meaningful. Absolutely. In terms of human-computer interaction paradigms are we at the beginning of something new it feels like we could be but what do you think? Yeah, absolutely. We're creating a whole new definition of user experience. That's, uh, yeah, uh, unquestionable. Um, we've gone from a very physical uh, uh, interactions to very visual interactions, and now we have audible interactions and reaction uh, uh, conversations that are like a human conversation would be, like ours right now. Um, and that's just a whole new frontier. Um, I think that we're only beginning to tap into the potential of it. I think that it's going to become very much more refined and when we tell our children about our experiences right now, they will, uh, or our children's children, they'll say, whoa, grandma, that sounds awful. Um, and it will be like watching loading screens uh, from 20 years ago. It's just, it's just slow and, uh, and less refined. Right. Yeah, God, that's a really good point. I, I, I remember putting a cassette tape on, <laughs> I'm this old, into a Spectrum, uh -huh. 128K Spectrum, and pressing the play button and waiting for four or five minutes for my app to load, because it was just playing it audibly, you know? Yeah. 
and like I do exactly exactly this. I try and explain this to my kids, and they're like, mm -hmm. "What's that? <laughs> no. no, that never happened. <laughs> like, no, it actually did." <laughs> and I lived through that. So fast forward fifty years. Mm. What does AI tech look like? No one knows. Um, no one knows whether it will be in our day to day lives or whether it will be uh, whether that will take longer. I reckon that it will be uh, that we will have a lot in our day to day lives. Uh, controlling our house, helping us be healthier, uh, but it's still, we don't know how these tools are going to manifest yet, totally. So will it be that this is something that's going to be in a huge scale? Will it be that governments are using artificial intelligence to inform the decisions that they're making and mm. how they interact with the population? Or will it just be kind of what it is now, but working better? Mm. I think a lot of the, yeah, that's that's fascinating, a lot of the technology that we see right now is as is an assistant is a subservient kind of tool for us to get our jobs yeah. done but i think a lot of what you were talking about was this opportunity this this future where the ai is its own entity yeah. so it's not subservient to humans it Absolutely. coexists with humans is that is that a future that you see happening maybe even sooner than 50 years time i i think it could be uh right now we don't have many um we don't have many networks that have that ability to be fully autonomous um in a way that humans would necessarily recognize we can say here is a piece of ai software we're going to put it in an environment go figure it out um and give it goals to achieve but in terms of being a practical and an independent entity with thoughts and opinions and learnings as we would recognize it, it's a really slow process and requires a lot of hardware. Um, but yeah, I think I think in the end, they definitely will become autonomous, but perhaps more autonomous in terms of being tools rather than in terms of being entities of personalities within the next 50 years. Uh, so my example would be uh, a hive of artificial bees. I would want to be able to create an algorithm which understands how to behave in a bee-like fashion, how to pollinate, how to perhaps even build honey, and then just set it in a building next to a garden and let it go. Right. And I think that that sort of thing will be able to develop, but within quite limited parameters, perhaps, mm. of functionality. That's fascinating, yeah, really interesting. The, um, the, the One of my favourite films ever of all time is Her, it's Mike John's films. Yeah. I you was going to watch it last week and then <gasps> I didn't. <laughs> oh my god! You see, because so much of what you were talking about um, in, in your vision of the future yeah. is, is kind of um, it, not the same as her because you presented some really interesting um, aspects that it doesn't cover at all. But this idea of, a, of, a, of, a, of an AI that, that we help to get to a certain point, mm. that it then takes over and evolves itself and kind of you know, yeah. forms parts of itself and other AIs. And then become so sophisticated that we just can't comprehend it anymore, yeah. and we can't keep up anymore. And I think that's something that a lot of people have never thought to. There's that, that, that the thought process never gets to the point where the AI is evolved beyond what humans can comprehend. Is that something that um, could happen in the next fifty years? Do you think? Uh, I think that that's uh, less likely uh, in terms of uh, well, it, yeah, I think it could. Um, but the way that I would see it happening within the next 50 years would be more in terms of developing uh, functionality and ways of understanding things that we haven't, uh, that we just don't have any frame of reference for, as opposed to being able to do what we can do better, which I think is a lot of, of what people 
um, predict. Mm. Uh, but we've already seen it. We've seen it happen. Uh, I can't remember who it was who developed these uh, AIs that talk to each other, and mm. they were meant to be in a bidding war, and eventually they developed their own shorthand language, uh, which no one could understand. And it freaked the researchers out because they created something new. Um, but they created something new because they realized that language was inefficient. <laughs> And equally, we will have uh, we will have entities that have essentially grown up, for want of a better term, with knowledge of limbs that we don't have, abilities that we don't have, uh, and without knowledge of skills that we do have. So they might be sightless, or they might not have uh, auditory feedback, um, and they will create whole new ways of doing things that they perceive as most optimized. Mm. And that will be something that is totally new to humans because we live our life as, uh, yeah, bipedal creatures with, most of us anyway, with uh, sound, sight, taste, smell, um, touch, and nothing else, nothing extra yet. So I think that that will be, yeah, new. It's it's sort of beyond, I think, what a lot of people can understand right now. Because <laughs> I'm yeah. struggling to wrap my head around it a lot of the time. And I, even time as well, for me, time is a really interesting True. concept, right? Because we see time very differently to how, uh, for example, a snail sees time or, mm. or how a cheetah sees time very, a lot faster, you know? And of course, the, for an AI, their, their definition of time is not, not only different, but it's completely fluid. They can mm. vary their, their frame of reference, their, their time parameter, depending on who they're talking to, what they're talking to, what they need to get done because it's completely artificial, so they can construct whatever frame of reference they need to, right? Limited, I suppose, by the hardware, maybe. Yeah, uh, I have to say, I don't know, but it's true that humans, our perception of time is also just screwed up. Um, There are effects where if you look away from something and then look back quickly, it will take a certain amount of time, and your brain will trick you and tell you that it's been a different amount of time, a shorter amount of time, and that something has happened in that time and you didn't miss it. So it will rewrite history in your head. Whereas if you're a computer, you don't have that. Maybe you could. You could definitely create something like that. You can create a, you can, you can create a piece of software that believes uh, that reality is distorted because you, you just, just decided to do that. It's the kind of thing that I can imagine a scientist doing because they can. Right. Ah, we will have this artificial intelligence, but every third hour it loses from its memory banks. <laughs> <laughs> Well, just to fuck with it. Yeah. Yeah, why not? Um, and yeah, absolutely. When you create, uh, yeah, when you when you move time like that, there's just, who knows, people will behave differently, their priorities will shift. Uh, and when I say people, I guess in this case, we mean AI. Um, yeah. And potentially okay. the people interacting with AI. Mm. We've, that's, oh, wow. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> okay, certainly in front of the six hours, guys, we're going to come this one yeah. in depth. We, uh, we've created a lot of modern AI on functions and structures that, re- that, that you know, are either biological, in the case of neural networks, yeah. or psychological, in the case of some you know, reasoning, Bayesian classifier, those kind of things. But they're very much grounded on the human condition. Mm. And I think one of the things that you mentioned in your, in your um, piece was that, that it could go, we could go beyond that. We could, well, maybe even AIs could go beyond that. Like, how much... How much do you think, but what's the roadmap for developing an AI? Do we try and keep it um, modelled around us until it can take over and model itself in a unique way? Or do we go, give it, do we, do we try and 
give it as a, a free a kind of opportunity to create itself and then let it go off and do it like how does that how do you th- how much do you think we should do based on humans uh i think that uh how much we base uh ai on humans should be how much how based on how much we want it to interact with humans um if you had an ai that was tailored to uh to interact with a certain group of animals or a certain environment then you very much want it tailored to that and it would only it should only be aware of that kind of life and environment because it has no reason to know about say fear or pain in the way that humans understand them um so i think that the roadmap is going to be shaped by our requirements where we want uh, to be using artificial intelligence where we want to be creating something that can reason or can learn uh, and I think that that is going to take us to possibly lots of extreme environments. Um, we've got rovers on Mars. Uh, we'll have mm. things going into the core of the Earth, potentially. Right. Um, and at that point, you'll have artificial intelligence that will be based on completely different conditions. It will just be based on... It won't have psychology in the way that we understand it. It will have uh, psychology and extremities based on the requirements. Right, fascinating. Yeah, so it fits itself to the environment it's in. Absolutely. So where does uh, human ethics and psychology, or f- uh, sorry, ethics and um, philosophy, so our human kind of reference points, where do they fit into AI? And how, how much of them should we fit into an AI that we're building? That's a really tough question. Yeah. Um, I mentioned earlier the example of uh, judicial, uh, of AI in, in the judiciary, at helping to inform sentences and how likely someone was to have committed a crime and that is that is an ai that has been developed almost purely for uh, a um a branch a discipline of study that it lies within ethics um it can also lie within fact but ultimately there are going to be humans coming contesting this and it involves humans lives how we feel how we live and how we perceive each other. Is someone guilty? Is someone good? Is someone bad? Is someone happy? Is someone sad? Um, and in that respect, we need to consider it heavily, but there is never going to be a right answer for how we program it or for how we develop our standards. Um, that's the whole point of philosophy and ethics as disciplines. You question things and you never know for sure whether to, scribe, to subscribe to one method or to another. Uh, yeah. So, <laughs> um, what do you think? Well, I, I, yeah, I suppose as practitioners in this field, I think we have a responsibility. Yeah. Um, to make sure that our the, the, the beings, the things, not beings. That's probably too far a term. But the algorithms we create are ethical and represent human um, approaches to what we consider mm. acceptable from a societal point of view <coughs> but I think that's where a lot of people at the moment are struggling with AIs because they see them being unchecked yeah. and at the moment there are you know there's not mm. much in the way of structures or governance or or process or even maybe best practice guidelines you could argue about how we're supposed to make these things is no not at all there's obviously there's there's the big high profile Elon Musk you know open AI kind of you know we could, we've got to keep these things checked and most of what Elon Musk says kind of gets taken as rote and, you know, as gospel and people assume For some reason. <laughs> what he says is true, so yeah, he gets all the comments. But, you know, his, his view on it, I suppose, is that, is that we have to have a proper structure in place now before the um, 
algorithms before the AIs get to sophisticated to the point where we can't control them anymore. At yeah. Some point. Does that? Do you reckon that fits in with your view of the future? Yeah. Hmm. Um, not AI, but we uh, a while ago most people have heard of Volkswagen, where uh, in emissions testing they the car would produce lower emissions if it could tell that it was being tested. Yeah. Uh, and I think that that is an example of another area of tech where we didn't have guidelines. I mean, this one was obvious, but we didn't have anywhere, anything in place to check, to uh, oversee this and to shape how uh, this approach was made, in this case a bad approach. Um, but I think that we're very much in that same boat with AI, only five steps before it's happening. Mm. And that's the scary thing, we, we don't know what to predict, we don't know how, uh, you, you mentioned controlling artificial intelligence, we don't know how it could move out of our control, we don't know what it could do wrong, partly because we don't know how humans will treat it. With self-driving cars, you're always meant to be still driving with your hands on the wheel, uh, effectively able to take over, and humans don't. And that is another area. Should we create ethics uh, for the artificial intelligence or for the artificial intelligence in the way that we expect it will be interacted with by humans? Mm. It's a subtle difference, but one that can have huge implications for, uh, for well, the whole industry and the whole world. God, yeah. Okay. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> maybe slightly more uh, broader topic than we had time for in this podcast. Yeah, maybe. yeah. <laughs> uh, it's interesting. Um, it maybe maybe it gets to the point then where we have like we have a privacy policy on our website, and mm. we need an AI policy. Like this is this is how our AI is gonna is gonna interact. This is how it interacts right now. These are the values it holds. Yeah. Uh, these, yeah. Are the, these are the ways that it works with other AIs and humans. Um, these are the, the controls or ring fences we've put in place for how it should work. But then if we go into the, the future when artificial intelligence might have been developed more on the human condition, where it has a psychology and it has a personality and feelings, or an approximation to feelings and desires, at what point do we say, oh, we are controlling something sentient in a way that we should not be able to in the same way that we have animal rights? Mm. Will artificial intelligence rights contravene the rights for humans that we are trying to impose on artificial intelligence. Yeah, it's almost like an anti-slavery kind of yeah. piece, right? Like that obviously was abolished because of the law came in. Mm. People went, hold a minute, that's not right. And then they enshrined that in, in governance and in law. And that, that set the precedent from, from that point onwards. Yeah, it's, it's except that we could create artificial intelligence to be our slaves and make sure that it can never uh, be in a condition where it, I suppose, feels otherwise where it feels this is one where it has uh, the rights that we could be violating if that makes sense mm. it's a minefield <laughs> <laughs> so so you know let's go back to that question then we are practitioners in this field mm -hmm. do you think where, where do you think the respons responsibility lies I think that the responsibility lies in everyone mm -hmm. society as a whole should be engaged in this conversation they aren't and it would be hard to get everyone in the world in one room <laughs> mm -hmm. and having a consensus um, but there should be agreements laid out by governments that have had contributors from all walks of life so the person on the street the expert building the software and uh, ethics experts for example um, but ultimately right now I think that most of the onus should lie on the company if a company mm -hmm. makes something and doesn't consider the impact that it can have 
we know better than that now. We know that we should be trying to consider the side effects. And if we have shown due diligence for that and something happens anyway, then I don't know. But <laughs> um, That's the way it goes, right? Yeah. Because see, Facebook, one of the biggest high-profile kind of misuses, you could argue, of data and, yeah. and, and complex algorithms... Um, and what, what, what are they doing really you know what's their strategy for the future I think that's that's um, something that has kind of side swiped a lot of people mm. I think I think there's a large population that would say actually I don't have anything that's mm-hmm. private or secure enough um, that I'm worried about giving that up to Facebook I don't really care as long as they that's can show really me more relevant pictures or more relevant content I don't really mind how it works but my point to that has always been that it's our job to look after them because they yeah. don't understand the implications because mm-hmm. they don't understand the technology behind the, the, the power that, the, mm-hmm. that um, they're using there. But we do. And I think so that's, that's where Facebook have done such a bad job of representing the kind of ethics of, of how these things should be used in mm-hmm. the world. Not just from a PR perspective, but from a kind of ethical technology perspective as well because they've, they've, they've pushed consumers to the point where they are almost encouraged not to worry about this and not to think yeah, about this. Yeah, don't worry your pretty little tape. heads. There's stuff going on that you don't need to understand. Yeah, exactly. This is why <laughs> I think, that's why for, for transparent, we need to be more transparent. But then mm. this goes back to your point about how complicated these systems are to understand, right? Like, we could do a six-hour podcast just on how these structures work and most people don't know and don't really care how they work. No. Right? They just want a product of the, of the output. So how do we, as as industry experts make sure that this is is pr- produced ethically mm. with the knowledge that we have and conveyed to you know the layman in in ways that they understand well i'm sure that there are brilliant geniuses out there who would disagree but i don't think that you can really call yourself an expert at something unless you can explain it to say a five-year-old yeah. um and in the case of data privacy we've definitely seen a big move towards figuring out how to explain this this stuff because it is just stuff it affects all of our lives and yet we we don't really know about it uh, and i'm sure that there are companies who've hired experts to to talk this through um but yeah it's, it's a huge issue how are we going to be able to communicate this effectively when it is so complex that we might not know what's going under the hood oh yeah that's the thing isn't it because the, the, the yeah the algorithms themselves are sort of a black, a black box. Mm. So in the case of like neural networks, it's very difficult to figure out how they work. Yeah. You put stuff in, you get stuff out. Inside the workings of it are are, are very opaque. And they can be constantly changing. <coughs> so what was true yesterday might not be true today. And if right. you get a different decision and you want to know why, uh, then how how do you go about finding out? Yeah. Okay. Interesting. I mean, there's, there's, there maybe is a bit of precedent in maybe how the uh, GDPR legislation mm-hmm. works. So I think part of that, from my relatively you know naive understanding of how it all works, is that you've got to be able to explain how your data is being used yeah. in very transparent terms. You know, so your data will be used for these things. Do you agree? Yes mm-hmm. or no? Um, maybe that because that's boiled a very complicated subject about data usage and big data and how it's kind of processed and, and transported and who owns what down to what is essentially a list of bullet points and that as a principle maybe <laughs> is something maybe we could do with with AI as well you know if there was a way of distilling the way that these systems are going to be you know monitoring you mm. and the impact it's going to have on you into something nice and simple that you could then you know, expose you could put, put that on your website or you could put that on your app 
Yeah. You know, do you want this AI to have access? Not not just have access, but do you want your this AI to know this about you and process this about you? And learn in a way which is probably irreversible. Right. Because once it's learned, it's learned and yeah. it knows about it. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Go on then. How do we tackle that one? Well. <laughs> That's for us to decide, I suppose, isn't it? In the industry, we have to figure this one out. Yeah. Once we get to those hurdles. Um. But equally, yeah, I think that you're right. That GDPR is going to extend to encompass these things. But it's not necessarily gonna make it any easier to to not um, be part of of these processes for AI in the same way that it's not any easier to not be not have your data stolen by Facebook and used on a million and one platforms to tell you whether you're I don't know, what what ads you want or um, or how old you are it's everything um, yeah. <laughs> And I suppose there's, you know, there's, there's stories of, of AIs that can, um, they can, they can tell things about you before you know them yourself because mm. of your patterns, because of your browsing and your usage and your data, your, your large sense of it. It looks for patterns in other people, sees them in you and can predict that. Mm. Maybe those guidelines should, should extend to the point where they say, and do you want us to tell you that this information, like how much of this do you want yeah. you as the person I know about to know? Like, do you, do you want to know that you're, you know you've got a high propensity to type 2 diabetes or, mm. you know, that you, you know, like a particular type of, you know, maybe socially unacceptable content <laughs> area or whatever, you know, because yeah. people that are very similar to you might like that thing and, you know, we think mm. that you might like it as well. Like, do you want us to tell you that we know that? Yeah, and there's always an element of self-fulfilling prophecies and I think that that is <coughs> a huge oh. issue in machine learning in general. If you tell people, ah, but these people are more likely to... Um, to go somewhere or eat something then you might target them and they will be more likely to go there and eat something and um, and that's always been uh, that's a, a historical problem we've seen that with uh, the story of Oedipus the guy who went to the uh, his father went to the Oracle of Delphi and the Oracle said uh, you are going to have a son who will kill you and marry his mother and he did but because of all the steps that they took to stop it from happening. And this is now, we have our modern equivalents beginning to happen. If we can create these patterns ourselves mm. accidentally, therefore reinforcing these patterns, things that are completely evitable right now will become inevitable uh, based on bad data, uh, bad actions, bad actors. Wow. Uh, all this goes to show, I think, how uh, early we are yeah. In terms of our yeah. understanding and maybe Truly. our our um, our way of uh, representing what's going on here to mm. everyone else, I mean, this is we're, we're very kind of naive, maybe almost in our approach. Yeah, is that uh, too far, or would you agree with that? Oh no, definitely. Mm -hmm. uh, I think in most technologies we're very naive because we're all very excited about it, and when you're excited about things, you don't take a step back and think, ah, oh, what's this gonna do? <laughs> How's this gonna play out? Um, and because it is very new, we have an inability to not be naive because there just isn't information to, to tell us what, what everything's going to look like. I must admit, I'm still quite excited, though. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I can't help myself. Uh, but yeah, it just needs someone that's a bit more mature to come along and say, that's a very bad thing, you should stop doing that now. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which I suppose is what the governance is all about, right? This is a new yeah. rules in place. You'd hope. To stop overexcited people like us kind of going a bit too far. <laughs> what's um what's the so let's let's get it off the, the heady subjects of ethics and, and philosophy yes. for a moment um what's the 
uh, best piece of tech that you've seen in science fiction that you wish was real but isn't yet? I mean, anything that can make food appear out of thin air. Oh my god. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But also anything that can make what you want appear out of thin air or can tell you what you want. Um, I've seen it in fantasy as much as sci-fi or crosses between the two where you'll sit down at a table and it will magically make your favourite maybe it will make a glass of water appear because you're really thirsty and then it will make your favourite food appear because now that you're not thirsty you can have what you need most but something like that anything that predicts my needs Mm. and ideally provides it for me without me having to do anything (laughs) wow yeah that's amazing how about you? science fiction oh god I I love the idea of the teleporter Mm. if I'm honest Um, that's that's I think that's got a way... What, you, what you're talking about there is solving world hunger and actually kind of just general needs of anyone, right? Because it puts everyone on the same mm-hmm. playing field. If you need something, you haven't got to go and buy it anymore, which means you kind of negate financial inequality all of a sudden because you don't yeah. need money to buy stuff, so you just have it if you need it. And then everyone's put on a level playing field then. Mm. Much more egalitarian, you know? Yeah. Almost like what the Scandinavian countries are doing with minimum wage. You know, everyone mm. is paid a certain amount of money, and that means that the financial inequality is much less. Well, let's not get political. Uh, yeah, 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 that's a good, very good point. Uh, let's keep it to tech. Um, yeah. But I, yeah, that, that's the that kind of technology has the ability to kind of level the playing field across mm. the board. And I think the same for um, teleportation, being able to move instantaneously, you know, with with very little cost wherever you want to go. I mean, yeah, you're no longer limited by the options in your area. Um, you get to meet people all over the world. Uh, your worldview is no, is ideally no longer uh, confined to a group of people that you sit down with and watch TV with. <laughs> it's weird, isn't it? Yeah. But just because we're geographically close, like, why does that mean that we have to be kind of philosophically close or financially mm. close or... I, I've never liked the idea, and it sounds an odd thing to say, but I never liked the idea of geographical borders. Just because I have to be yeah. born here, I have to think in this way, and I have to mm. live in this way. It just seems really weird. Like, Absolutely. As a race, we are very similar to each other, yeah. regardless of where we're born. And I think that there's, there's a magic to having different cultures, but there's more magic bringing those cultures together than keeping them apart. Oh, that's a lovely way of putting it. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> that's so good. So there you have it, Lucia Velasco, talking AI, ethics, intelligence, and the future of collaborative automation. If you've enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to this series for more enlightening talks from exceptional people. Thanks for listening, and enjoy living in the future.